Doctors save the lives of many patients, but when they themselves receive a life-changing diagnosis like kidney failure, they become the person awaiting a life-saving gift. I have to be very strong and remain very faithful, as I said before, and optimistic. Do not let the negative thoughts overcome my feelings, you know, my emotions. That's dermatologist and chronic kidney disease patient, Dr. Joaquin Breva. I'm Monica Fox, kidney transplant recipient and director of outreach and government relations for the National Kidney Foundation of Illinois, and your host. On this episode of The Journey Continues, Dr. Joaquin and his wife, Jennifer, share the challenges you might face in the transplant process, even if you're a doctor undergoing the knife yourself. Joaquin, how's your role as a physician prepared you for this unexpected role of patient? I have a a very strong uh, family history of uh, kidney disease. The fact is that eight uh, close relatives of mine passed away already of uh, chronic kidney disease. Some of them on dialysis, like my own father, uncles, aunts, first cousins, etc. So I was aware that I had a chronic kidney condition from my 30s. And just in the last two years, using a, a, a term that I learned from other kidney patients, I hit the cliff. My kidney function was at 60% and the last two years dropped to 20%, which is a big shock. I, it was very stressful for me to learn as a physician that my, my creatinine and my glomerular function was now at 20%. It's common that kidney disease runs in your family, but I'm so sorry to hear that so many people in your family have um, succumbed to kidney disease. So how'd you first learn that you yourself had kidney disease? Many years ago, when I was a young um, physician in training, I uh, volunteered in the United States Army as a physician, as a medical officer. During my intake exams, the medics came out of the lab and told me, uh, sir, your urine has a lot of protein, and that's kind of alarming. So that was the first time I learned that I might have a kidney condition, and I was only 31. And it was a surprise, because I was feeling perfectly well. I was very healthy, apparently. And did you, at that time, know of your family history of it? I was aware that my grandmother had passed away at 42, a renal disease, mm. and her brother... Uh, one of my father's uncles also passed away at age 62 in renal failure. But it didn't correlate with that because back then my father was not ill yet. My father fell ill of renal disease in his uh, late 60s, as well as my uncles and aunts. So at the age of 30 or 31, you didn't expect to get a diagnosis like that? That's correct. And how did you feel when you heard that diagnosis? Well, I was uh, very concerned because I was already uh, an internal medicine doctor in training before I became a dermatologist, and I was very aware of manifestation of kidney disease, of different kinds of signs and symptoms. So I seek assistance from the internal medicine uh, specialists and nephrologists, even in my right away. So I need to have this look into. So, Jennifer, how do Joaquin share the news of his diagnosis, the progression of his kidney disease with you? 
We were married in 2013, and at that time, he was uh, a very active person. He was in great shape. He worked out. Actually, the first year that we got married, we both made a decision to go vegan. So from 2013 to 2020, we uh, were on a mainly plant-based diet. And I knew he had mentioned that there was some kidney disease in his family and that he had kind of the beginning stages of it. But we didn't really put that much effort into thinking about it. We were just living our lives and having fun. So it wasn't until he started having gout attacks and he was on gout medication uh, through his nephrologist that we really started to sense that there was some things going on that might be a sign of, of a decline in his condition. So in 2020, we went, I think maybe it was actually the end of 2019, he went in to have his numbers done, and that's when his creatine and his GFR, they had dramatically dropped. And I think one of the biggest signs also was he was starting to have some arrhythmia, and my Apple Watch is actually what he started using my Apple Watch to test his uh, EKG it started to show some signs that some, some things were off. So that's, it, it was really just sort of a combination of, of a, a few things that happened for us to go in, get some additional testing. And that's when we found out that, uh, that he was in stage four, actually. And how do you feel when you found out about that, that he was in stage four? Well, when we got the call, um, we sat on the couch and I, I remember I mean, I was bawling. <laughs> I was not prepared for that because basically what we were told was he was, he had advanced stage kidney disease and that he was going to need a transplant uh, fairly soon and that there wasn't anything we could really do to reverse it, that we could try to do, you know, continue with plant-based diet, but there was no reversing this really. At that time, it was six years into our marriage, and I was uh, devastated. We were both pretty devastated. I mean, I started thinking about the end of our marriage, you know, like, I mean, I'm going to lose my husband. So it was um, pretty crushing. Yes, I can imagine. And Joaquin, what treatment options were presented to you? Jennifer just mentioned transplant. Correct. So when my uh, internist uh, detected changes in my creatinine back in, in the 90s, late 90s. The blood pressure was a little high, so they put me right away on a group of medications to prevent further damage. It's called uh, ACE inhibitors, uh, low-salt diet. I was following a low-salt diet. I actually lost weight over four, uh, the last 10 years, approximately 40 pounds of my body weight, and changed my diet into more plant-based diet, you know, trying to help the kidneys last longer, and they added special medications to lower my uric acid in the blood. So the treatment that offered me in the beginning was considered standard of care for my stage, back then stage 3B. At the point that I reached stage 4B, then the option was transplantation. Okay. And what fears or expectations do you have about transplant or dialysis if it were to come to that? Correct. So the option to transplantation, they presented all that when I was referred by my nephrologist to the uh, transplant team, whether if you 
do dialysis, these are your expectations. If you do a cadaveric uh, transplant, this is what you expect. And then this is, if you do a living donor compatible, then this is one of the best options. So they offer me everything on the table. And one of the options is to do nothing, which is some people at a certain point choose not to do anything. When they presented me all the options, I choose life. I said, okay, I think I'm going to remain faithful and optimistic that maybe a, a good, wonderful hero will come and offer me their spare kidney and I can live another 15, 20 years and take care of my family and stay with my wife. Well, Jennifer, what do you know about kidney disease before you learned about it with Joaquin? <laughs> yeah, I didn't really, I didn't know anything. I didn't have any family members that had had it. I don't have any friends with it. I didn't have any background of knowledge about it. His drastic change in condition was quite shocking. Now, Joaquin, how are you feeling physically now? I am classified now as stage 4B. Okay, so I do feel um, that I like energy, tired. Frequently, I get headaches. Uh, occasionally, I get muscle cramps, pruritus, or itch. Uh, I look a little pale already because the blood counts are dropping. It's, uh, it's affecting my quality of life already, significantly. So you mentioned that you had changed to a plant-based diet, basically. What other lifestyle changes have you made as you wait for a transplant? I changed the way I exercise. I used to be able to do much more intensive exercise. Now I go for long walks at a gentle pace. Uh, I can walk five miles slowly, but I do it and uh, raise my heart rate to 120. I do a little bit of yoga instead of weights. I try to sleep more hours to recover, you know, from the days of work. And I cut down my work hours also. And when it comes to the diet, I follow the recommendation of low salt diet, number one, and I don't use sugar in my diet. I don't have diabetes, but I don't think sugar is healthy for humans. And uh, as I said, I keep my weight closer to the ideal BMI or body mass index of 25. Jennifer, how are you helping Joaquin navigate through this process? He's everything to me. So I'm kind of willing to do whatever I need to, whether it's helping with the search. So I started our kidney search um, really uh, actively back in December. Um, so whether it's the search, spreading the word, I've changed my diet to accommodate what he needs because I actually think it's a, a healthy diet for all of us. So we do the walks together. You know, I try to keep an eye out on him. He used to like shellfish and he used to, you know, sort of be drawn to certain things. So I'm a little motherly at times. I try not to be too bad, but when we first got the diagnosis and we knew that we were going to have to do a search, he was very shy about it. He didn't really feel comfortable as a doctor, knowing so many people in the community and having so many patients. He was concerned about spreading uh, information about him needing a kidney because he didn't want his patients to think that he wouldn't be available for them. He's very proud. He's kind of not comfortable being the patient, which I assume is very common for doctors. So I decided that I would do this search on my own and I would tell him how I was doing, but I literally wouldn't put him in the forefront of it. 
So the first thing I did was I contacted Transplant Village at Northwestern because that's uh, where Joaquin is a doctor and that's where his, uh, his, his physicians are, his nephrologist and the transplant team. I contacted them and I listened in on a few of their calls about what the process was for donor advocates as well as uh, you know recipients and donors and just kind of learned what they had done in their successful searches. And then he, Joaquin, asked me not to do anything on social media. So for about a year, I didn't. And then when his numbers dropped further last December, I just decided that I was going to create a movement. (laughs) So I posted on Facebook and I shared information about his condition. I included information about anyone who might want to be a donor a link to the Northwestern questionnaire. And I made calls all over, shared the information with my friends and asked them to go on Facebook and share my uh, message with their networks. And it went from just me having it to hundreds of people shared it. So in a fairly short period of time, we had thousands of people that had seen it. Because some of our friends are in the media. We were fortunate that uh, some of them reached out and asked if there was anything that they could do that they wanted to make this a story. And so we had a dear friend, um, Natalie Martinez with NBC, who did an interview with us during the Christmas holiday. And we shared our story. And the theme of it was all we want for Christmas was a kidney for Joaquin. And Joaquin was starting to get comfortable at that point because it had been about three weeks and everybody knew about it. And he was starting to be okay with this being out there. And I think once that happened, it was bursting the balloon or the bubble or whatever. And now he was comfortable talking about it. So he started talking about it at his office as well with, you know, friends and and such. So anyway, so NBC shared the story over five times during the Christmas holiday, and that really helped us. So we were able to get over 40 people in a month period of time to fill out the questionnaire with Northwestern. They've been going through this pool of people and testing them. Um, He also has friends that have gone through the process. We have someone who went through the evaluation as a a swap program kind of donor versus a direct donor. Um, But but anyway, so we just, you know, I just have been doing everything I could. I reached out to my friends with different publications. Michigan Avenue Magazine just did a story about us. I just kind of made this my mission. And the more I shared about it, the more I learned other people's stories. And I realized that it's it's a huge community. There's so many people that are that have either gone through it. Friends of mine have gone through it for family members. So it's just, you know, everybody's working together to try to help us. And it's been wonderful. That's a wonderful source of support in general that it sounds like you guys have. And you are an amazing champion for being in the forefront and leading the cause for him. And I just have to ask, as a caregiver and a champion, what do you do for self-care, Jennifer? Uh, well, I, I, I try to talk with people like you um, and other you know organizations the National Kidney Foundation of Illinois and your team has been really supportive of us. And, you know, all of the organizations that that work with champions, advocates that work with donor, donor recipients, 
first off to see, am I doing the right thing? You know, is there anything that I'm missing? But, you know, I have a really great group of friends. And when I am feeling overwhelmed or I feel like I'm giving a lot of my energy into this because I kind of made it my full-time job, um, they're they're there to, you know, make me laugh, tell me a story, get me out of the house, you know, go out to dinner or do something to distract me from all of this. I have a great family. I have a wonderful kitty that gives me lots of love and cuddles. Um, so, <laughs> so, and Joaquin, you know, he's my, he's my best friend and partner and, you know, we'll go for a walk, go see a movie and, um, you know, try to shake it off because we don't want it to be something that we're eating, breathing, and, and thinking about 24-7. Yeah, that sounds healthy. Joaquin, how's your condition affected your mental and emotional health? It can cause some kind of a depression to feel that you have a condition that is uh, could be terminal, a severe illness. I have to be very strong and remain very faithful, as I said before, and optimistic. Do not let the negative thoughts overcome my feelings, you know, my emotions. So, and Jennifer is a huge uh, support. Uh, my close friends, our families, my own patients are, have been very, very loving and supportive when they learn that I have a, a severe kidney condition. Uh, matter of fact, my very close friend might be somebody who's gonna be the final donor in a swap system or he's a standby donor. And he was the first one to offer to help. So luckily we might get uh, a transplant coming if this situation is um, finalized when all the blood matches are completed this week. So I have to remain faithful and optimistic. Do not let you know the condition, the negative thoughts, everything take over. And how do you maintain a positive attitude? It's a good thing to be grateful, to be faithful, to believe. I am a believer, so I pray for mercy and uh, resting properly. I know my limitations. Uh, the diet is important. Have a very healthy renal diet. Understand the impact of diet in my health. And that's it. Just have faith that things are going to get better. What are some of the challenges that you're facing? I understand we have 37 million people affected by chronic kidney disease in the United States. More than 100,000 people are in my predicament in need of an organ transplant, a kidney transplant in particular. And we understand we're losing every two hours a kidney warrior to kidney disease in the waiting list. This is terrible. So I think all institutions, medical institutions, the government have to make an effort to expand our transplant programs we're able to transplant in Illinois or in Chicago, in the Chicago area, 200 cases a year, but there are 3,600 people waiting in the list in this area alone. So we need to provide them with more staff support, expand their abilities to provide this magnificent gift of life. And I'm becoming a kidney warrior myself, pushing the higher ups of my institutions. I have been able to talk to um, chairman from two different universities that keep wishing to expand their program to put the universities and hospital systems on the spot to expand the ability to screen and perform uh, catabetic transplants uh, as fast and in a safe way. So I think there is a 
limitation of what they can do as humans, okay? Uh, in my case, I noticed how slow and difficult is the screening process. Despite the fact that I have 40 potential donors, we have been able to screen only three in six months. And that's, that's frustrating. So it sounds like you are directly addressing some of the systematic problems that need solutions. That's correct. We have also the COVID crisis that affected our transplant teams and our transplant patients very seriously. And um, that was a very uh, dramatic times because, you know, this infection is uh, affecting people with renal disease and people with uh, medication for transplant anti-rejection drugs more severely. And the vaccines were a failure for people like on these medications. And I have to ask, does being a surgeon at Northwestern Medical Center give you any advantage in the transplant process? Absolutely not. They're extremely proper and ethical about it. They understand that I'm a physician in the system. They treat me with respect, but I will not be moved into the top of the list for that reason. It's absolutely uh, unethical, and I did not demand that, of course. It doesn't come from me. Everything we did, Jennifer and I, to try to help me, we include information for others to be helped. Other people were waiting for a transplant. We said, please help anyone who is in need of a kidney transplant or organ transplant. So I don't want to be focused on myself in this uh, fight for life. I want anybody who's ill with kidney disease to benefit from my efforts. That is wonderful to be selfless at a time when you are in need yourself. And it's good to know that the process is straightforward because there are a lot of myths out there about things like that. Jennifer, what resources would be useful to you as his partner, caregiver, and champion in this process? When I first started this process, you know, I reached out to Transplant Village because that was the first organization that I knew because they were introduced to us. I'm glad to have met you all. I think that people don't know that there are support groups, that there are nonprofit organizations out there that they have this mission to help. You know, we're several months into this search. If I would have known, then I would have, you know, reached out probably earlier. So, but in terms of resources, making sure that you partner with your transplant team, making sure that you get to know the team. One of the first things Transplant Village told me is you're going to have to micromanage this process. And I've taken that and never forgotten it. We used our network to spread the message, but we wanted to have it be not like Joaquin said, not just about us. It's about everybody who's trying to go through this. Well, my next question, you was sort of answered in in part of that answer, but you may have a few more gems for me. Um, What encouraging words do you have for other people awaiting a transplant? Well, I would just say that you're not alone. And the more you talk about it, the more you do research and find out organizations in your community, locally and nationally, share your story. Social media, even if you don't really like social media, it's a great resource. There are Facebook groups of people that are going through it. And once you start talking about it, other people will come forward and say, this is what I did. I've been through this before. So, you know, just utilize what you have. Uh, access to because it's it's really great to feel like you are uh, part of a community of people going through it and be grateful. 
<laughs> yeah, I, I suggest um, uh, there's there's a lot of room for improvement in our system. For example, make huge effort to promote uh, to be an organ donor. You know, in the driver license, for example, people should check. Yes, I want to save a life in case something happened to me. Also, to promote living donors, most people don't know that they have a spare kidney they can share and save a life. And then also expanding the ability of all these wonderful doctors, surgeons, and transplant nephrologists to provide this uh, service to more people. I think it's, it's a terrible tragedy that a person dies in this country every two hours waiting for a kidney transplant. I agree. That is a tragedy. And what would you say, this question is for both of you, what would you say to someone considering giving the gift of a kidney? That's an unbelievable, um, I mean, really brings tears to my eyes that people are willing to undergo a procedure that they don't need in order to save somebody's life. An example is that there is a group of people watching a child in a lake in the water. The kid falls through the ice. And most people start calling. Uh, some people will be taking pictures or filming. Somebody called 911. But somebody gets in there with a rope and pulls this kid out of the water. That's my kidney daughter. That kind of altruism and, and uh, person is selfless. Absolutely selfless. And Jennifer, what would you say to someone considering giving the gift of a kidney? It's transformative. You're changing and saving the life of, of an individual and you're impacting an entire family and their network and of friends. I mean, with Joaquin, just the idea of, of losing him, I was thinking about the impact that would have selfishly not on me, but like then I started to realize that his network, which everyone has, you know, it's like the movie, It's a Wonderful Life. You don't realize the impact that you have on all of these people until that's gone. And so I started thinking about that. And I know that saving Joaquin's life will give us time together. It gives us a future together, but it also impacts the whole community. And I know that would be the same for anybody. So it's monumental. There's no greater gift than to give life. And that's what this would be. Well, I agree with you. And I believe that Joaquin's gift is coming soon. (laughs) We, We pray that that's the case. Chronic kidney disease is a life-changing diagnosis. However, a preemptive kidney transplant can give you a second chance at life. Are you waiting for a kidney or are you interested in becoming a kidney donor? To learn more, visit nkfi.org. That's nkfi.org. I'm Monica Fox, and this is The Journey Continues. Prevention of kidney disease is our mission at NKFI. One key to prevention is good nutrition. That's why at the end of each episode, you'll hear a nutrition fact. Here's our foundation dietitian, Dr. Melissa Prest. Here's today's nutrition tip about meal planning and prepping. If you're looking for ways to increase your success with diet changes, then look no further to how you are meal planning and prepping. Done well, you will find that you are saving money on groceries, time, and allowing you to reach your health goals. Here are some tips to help you master meal planning and prepping. Start small and plan out a few meals and snacks. You'll find what works well for you and what doesn't, and then you can build by adding in more meals and snacks to your plan. Think of making a healthy plate with protein choice, a carb choice, and fruits and vegetables for your meals and snacks. 
Get your kitchen and pantry organized so you can see what you already have on hand and what you need to buy. Plus, you can quickly find things that you need when you have an organized kitchen. You can also shop your pantry first when putting together your meal plan. Make sure you have some good food storage containers to keep your prepared meals and snacks. Keep a few variety of herbs and spices on hand to help you create tasty meals. Schedule your meal plan time and your meal prep time so that you are sure to have time to do both. Always head to the grocery store with the list and do not shop when hungry. This helps keep you on a budget, on task, and limits those impulse purchases. Batch cook and freeze. You could batch cook food like pasta, rice, or barley and use it for a variety of dishes during the week. The same with vegetables. They can be cooked or chopped and can be spread out among many meals. You can also freeze some of the meals that you create and save it for another week. Prep your fruits and vegetables when you get home from the grocery store. This will save you time when you need to use them for recipes. And make a plan for leftovers and when you will use them in your meal plan. With today's nutrition tip, I'm Melissa Prest, a registered dietitian nutritionist and the foundation dietitian for the National Kidney Foundation of Illinois. The Journey Continues is brought to you by the National Kidney Foundation of Illinois and sponsored by Donate Life Illinois. To learn more about kidney disease and living donation, visit www.nkfi.org. To register to become an eye, tissue, and organ donor, visit lifegoeson.com. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please subscribe to and leave a review for The Journey Continues in Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen. This podcast is produced by Rivet. To hear more great podcasts, visit rivet360.com.